Welcome to part two of our Multiply series. It's our year-end vision series that is a special season for our church to rally around a common vision that God has given us. And we're trusting God that he is going to strengthen our faith and he's going to expand our vision. And we're going to see God do some incredible things in our life and also in and through our church. And we're going to express this faith through giving a generous offering to the Multiply offering in just two Sundays from now um, on December 5th. And so it's just going to be a great, great time. And that special offering is going to go to above and beyond the normal operating stuff of our church. It's going to connect us into where we're heading. It's going to allow us to hire some new pastoral staff team people, uh, save for a building, and invest more in what God is doing here right now and some new technology and stuff like that, outreach opportunities, creating new relationship building opportunities. So it's going to be a great, important season that we are in. And we kicked off this season at a vision night. We met at a barn not too far from here, and many of you were there, and I loved the passion that the energy that was in that room. Uh, Did you like it too? It was a good night? Yeah. All right, good. Just checking. (laughs) I thought it was pretty cool. And in that night, I said, in order for us to get to where God, I believe God is leading us, we've got to do four things. We have to be committed to the vision. Number two, we have to worship. And we had a cool nation's worship uh, night on Friday night just a couple days ago, and that was really cool. Uh, The third thing we have to do is we have to do evangelism. And then the fourth thing is we have to have financial generosity. And so today's message is about evangelism and financial generosity. And what's really cool about all four of these things is that you can do them. (laughs) We can do them. There are all things that we can do that you can do. And I'm going to do my best to inspire us to do it. But if we do it, I believe God has some incredible things planned for us and in store for us as a church and individually for us as well. So do you know what I mean when I say evangelism? It's a big word. Evangelism is simply sharing your faith in Jesus. It's talking about what Jesus has done in your life. And it's words, it's, it's a story, it's a sharing, but there's also like a bigger component to it like and we talk about here uh, the heartbeat of our church we want to pray for people especially people who are far from god we want to care for people and we want to share jesus with people that's evangelism and i came across this cool definition of evangelism it says living and proclaiming the good news of salvation found in christ alone like it starts with a lifestyle it starts with i'm living differently and people are wondering Why do you live that way? Why do you spend the money that way? Why do you care about this? Why do you talk about this? Why do you go there? It starts with living individually, but also as a church, people are curious. Why are you doing that? Why are you investing your time in this? Why do you have this thing? It starts with living, but it can't stop with living. It has to be proclaimed. Like there has to be words because there's good news that needs to be shared. The good news that Jesus came to this earth he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin and he was buried and he rose again the third day and anyone who puts their faith and trust in him will be saved their sin was taken and nailed to the cross and jesus when we believe in him gives us his perfection and we have a new life 
And that is the news that needs to be communicated because that's what leads to salvation that's found only in Jesus. So that's evangelism. Financial generosity, then, is also very important. And you're like, really? We're going to talk about money today? Yes, we are. And uh, I know sometimes in church that could be a little bit of a weird thing. And um, guess who I think knew that? Jesus. Because Jesus talked more about money than almost anything else. And he taught something like really important. He taught something that you can't worship both God and money. Like there's something unique about this particular area of our life that it challenges us like what do we really believe? What do we really care about? What do we really worship? And, And where our money goes and what we spend our money on oftentimes indicates where our hearts are. And so Jesus knew this, and so uh, we are going to talk about it. We're going to talk about financial generosity, and generosity in general is living a life that matches the giving nature of God by outrageously and joyfully giving of our time, our treasures, which is our money, and talents, you know, you have to put all the T's in there together, to fuel God's mission here on earth. Because our God is a generous giving God. For God so loved the world that he, what did he do? He gave. And if God has given you, and if God has given me all this amazing stuff, he's given us so much. He's given us new life. He's given us, you keep going. Then we, in turn, are called by him to give back to him, to fuel what he is doing on this earth through the ministry of the local church, God's main mission here today. And so we want to do that outrageously. We want to do it joyfully. And we can give our time and our treasures and our talent to do that. And it's what financial generosity propels evangelism. It's what makes the gospel flow. It's what accomplishes the mission. It, It allows it to be moving. It allows it to reach more people. It allows the message to go forward. Financial generosity does that. And the gospel is grounded without generosity. The gospel is grounded without generosity. And in a sense, I think you know this. It's like it takes time. It takes time to invest in people, to create a relationship, to invite them over for dinner, to talk about life, to to emotionally invest in this person and pray for them. Like it takes your time, and we get that. And it takes our talents too, right? Each of us is unique and we all have different abilities to serve and love people and it's like, wow, that's incredible. You really, you really did that for me? And it's like, yeah, I did. And we get that. But does it really take our financial generosity too? I think it does. And sometimes I have a very practical mind about thinking about some of these things. So just go here with me for a second, okay? Maybe some of you are real fired up about evangelism. You're like, I'm going to go share my faith. Why am I even sitting in this chair right now? I'm going to go. I'm going to get up, and there's hundreds of people at Wegmans within walking distance. I'm just going to go over there and start talking to them about Jesus. I don't need no money to do that. Well, good luck. Because people oftentimes don't care about what you have to say until they know that you care. And so maybe if you bought 10 people coffee, then maybe one of them might be interested in what you had to say. And so there's a little financial investment there that's made. And now maybe you're like, 
I don't need to do that. I just need a bullhorn or I need a soapbox or I need some pamphlets. Okay, where's the, where are that coming from? You got you to buy that. You're like, that's too much. That's too much. I could just go there myself. I'll just use my words. Okay, you need some food. <laughs> you need some fuel. You need a place to live. Like somewhere, some place, there has to be some level of financial generosity that fuels the gospel being shared. And the gospel is grounded without financial generosity. So evangelism and generosity go hand in hand. They go together. Evangelism and financial generosity. Evangelism and generosity. And so today, we are going to look at the book of Acts, the early church, the birthday of the church, that will help us to see this relationship between evangelism and generosity. And so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And if you don't have your Bible, that's quite all right. The words will be on the screen behind me. And we would love to give you a free Bible before you leave today. Uh, There's one in the lobby if um, you can stop by there and get it at the New Here area. But in the book of Acts, it was written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a disciple of Jesus, and he wrote the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that book of Acts like picks up after where the Gospels end. And so at the end of the Gospels, Jesus died, spoiler alert, and he rose again. Woo! And then he appeared to all of these people for 40 days. And he was talking to them. And one of the last things he told his disciples was this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. And then he tells them, but you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so, ten days later, after Jesus said this and ascended into heaven, everyone is in the town of Jerusalem for a festival called Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. And so, the believers are there, and the Holy Spirit comes, and it's a miraculous day. Like, unlike any other day. There's people from all other nations and nationalities, all these different languages that have gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And something crazy starts happening. They start hearing the believers speak about Jesus in their own language. It's like if I was speaking Spanish right now and you were hearing me in English. Or for our Spanish speakers, I was speaking in English and you were hearing me in Spanish. Like something miraculous was happening on that day. And God was using it, all these different people, all these different people gathered in one place to hear the good news in their own language so that they could go out and go back home and tell everybody about it. And so Peter recognized what was going on on that special day. And he stands up in front of as many people as he could, and he starts preaching. He starts doing evangelism. He starts telling them about Jesus. He starts quoting Old Testament, and he, he's just telling them, this is Jesus, this is Jesus. And we see at the end of his sermon in Acts chapter 2, he says this, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. And Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him, And to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles and all who have been called by the Lord our God. Like the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer in Jesus, lives inside of you today. 
right now empowers you, God, inside of you. And Peter gives this amazing message. And what happens? What is the result of Peter's evangelism? It says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And so the church grew from just over 100 to over 3,000 people as a result of Peter's evangelism. Like it was a big day for the birthday of the church. And it reminded me a little bit of our church's birthday, where we threw this grand opening service right here. And uh, we got to look out at you all and just invite as many people as possible to hear a clear vision of what God was going to do in and through you and in and through our church. And it was amazing to see people respond to the gospel, to believe in Jesus, to commit their life to Jesus, to feel like they want to be a part of the mission of what God is doing here. And I just remember standing next to Alicia at the very end and just kind of taking it all in and just incredible to be a part of it, to see it. To, to experience it. Now, as far as I know, I was speaking in English and you were hearing it in English, but like it was still like a special day. That first day is just like, wow. And ever since then, God has been at work. The gospel has been changing lives. And we just celebrated Anna's story. Like God used what we are doing here in this movie theater and he brought it via the technology that we use and invest in and brought it to her in her hospital room, in her hospital bed. God did that. And God used the testimony of her brother and her sister-in-law at getting baptized and proclaiming their faith in Jesus to just spark something in her heart and her faith in Jesus was, was born. Like, God is doing that. Evangelism is happening. Evangelism is living and proclaiming the good news of salvation found in Christ alone. So then what happened? What happened after that big day? Well, let's keep reading in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they, what, shared everything they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. And they worshiped together at the temple every day, men in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Those early believers, those first church members, they shared everything they had. They even sold stuff that they did have, right? Banking in the first century Israel, Roman world was a little different than it is today. So they had their stuff and they sold it and they brought it and they helped other people with it and they were generous they were very very generous generosity and evangelism evangelism and generosity what is what was the result of their generosity in verse 47 it said and each day the lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved like a result of the church responding in generosity was more people were believing, more people were being a part of the mission, more people were following Jesus. And we see this cycle today, too. When we talk about praying and caring and sharing Jesus with people in our life, like 
that's happening. We're praying for people. Hannah heard our prayers as a church, and we didn't even know, she, we didn't even know we were praying for her. <laughs> that was so cool. So we were praying, and then we care for people. Like when we throw parties, birthday parties, baby showers, uh, you name it, throw a backyard barbecue, like guess what happens? That's generosity at work. And people come to those things. They're touched by those things. They wonder, why are you doing that? Why are you living this way? Why are you different? And people come and they, they get connected and they see it and they're like, something's different. Something's going on here. And they're being touched by your generosity. And more people are getting saved. But without generosity, the gospel is grounded. And of course, the good news itself doesn't change. It just might not look as good to a lost and dying world. They're wondering what difference does it really make in somebody's life? Yeah, that's news. It happened 2,000 years ago. But really, what difference does it make? But when we as believers understand what God has done, when we understand how much he has given us, the transformation that happens in our life, and we respond with outrageous, joyful giving that impacts the world, watch out. Watch out, world. Acts chapter 2, evangelism happening. So after... Acts chapter 2, you had evangelism, right? You had generosity. Now, what do you think you have next? <laughs> More evangelism. So now, there is Peter and John, and they go to the temple. And there's a lame man at the temple, and they heal this guy. And he gets up and walking around, and everybody's looking like, what? What? That's that guy? No way. His life has changed. His life is transformed. And Peter and John, they take this opportunity to preach they're telling everybody about Jesus. It's like, yeah, Jesus did that. That was amazing. Like, that's, that's awesome. And people are, are believing. But when we live this way, when we live in evangelism, when we live in generosity, people's lives are changed. And there's somebody that knows that. There's somebody that tries to stop that. The enemy, the devil, Satan, he attacks generosity. And so when Peter and John are, are preaching and they're, they're sharing with all these people, guess who shows up? The religious people. Those dang religious people. The Jewish religious leaders, they show up. And they said, you can't do this. You can't be talking about Jesus. You gotta, you gotta stop doing this. And they put them in jail telling people about Jesus. And so there will always be, when generosity and evangelism are happening, there will always be opposition from the outside. And we've maybe faced a little bit of that. We might have sensed a few things here and there, but I don't think I've felt a whole lot of opposition for our church. And I just know that if we continue in evangelism and continue in generosity, that opposition it's coming, and it's going to be worse, and I just know that God is going to be with us, and we're going to be able to stand against it, and we're going to stay focused on the mission, and people will continue to be saved, and we're going to continue to give, and we're going to continue to push the mission forward, even standing against opposition. 
So 5,000 people now are believers in Jesus as a result of Peter and John, and, and they get out of jail, okay? Peter and John get out of jail. And then what happened? What happened after this evangelistic growth in, in chapter 4, verse 32? It says this, that all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerly to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them because those who owned land and houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. That's generosity. Generosity, evangelism, evangelism, generosity. All these people, they're, they're sharing what they have. They're selling their stuff, their land, their houses, and bringing the money and funding, fueling what God is doing. Wouldn't it be cool to know what that looked like? You're like, I wonder, I wonder what, what, what that felt like. What, what, what happened? Do you have a story, Luke? Luke has a story. He says, for instance, there was Joseph. Oh, Joseph's awesome. The one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. His family and his nation get a shout out. And he sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Joseph, you go, Joseph. He responded in this moment, this important moment in the history of the church, and his name is forever recorded in the word of God because of his obedience and because he stepped up and was generous in this moment. Joseph, you go, Joseph. Wow, you did that? You're fa- that's amazing. You're, this, you're in a, such an encouragement to us. So we can bring what we have. And you can bring what you have to help fuel the mission of God on this earth today. And I can just envision a couple years from now, okay, a couple years from now, we're looking back on this moment. A couple years from now, we're looking back on this moment, and we're thinking, remember when? Remember when so-and-so did this? Remember when? I don't, I don't think we have any Josephs. Remember when Joseph did this? We wouldn't be here three years from now, a couple years from now, if it wasn't for the faithfulness and the generosity of the people here in this room today and those watching online. Like there is something special right now that could result in getting us to where we're going in a couple years that we would be just in awe and remember for forever. Wow, remember when? Remember when? Joseph, man, whew, Joseph was awesome. Well, maybe you should put your name in there. What if you put your name? Remember when your name did this? Wow, that was incredible. That was incredible. But remember, the enemy attacks this. He comes after generosity. And in Acts chapter 5, we see this happening, and I think it will happen even right here and right now. But 2,000 years ago, in Acts chapter 5, if we keep reading, there was a certain man named Ananias who, with his wife Sapphira, sold some property. 
And he brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? Notice where the attack is coming from. You lied to the Holy Spirit, and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell, as you wished. And after selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do such a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Like this was an important moment in the history of the church. It was important that God was confirming that he was using Peter to confirm that generosity, financial generosity is important. It is very, very important. And God wants authentic people. He wants real people. People. Like, this isn't a show, you know, this isn't some made-up thing. Like, this is real, this is authentic, this is important. And Peter was telling Ananias, like, dude, it's not about the amount. It's not about that. Like, you had this field, and you chose to sell it. Nobody made you sell it. You chose. And after you sold it, then, well, you had this money. And nobody forced you to give all of it. The problem was, was the deceit, the posture of this man's heart. And he said, this is everything. And of course, it wasn't. And so as a result of, of this, it, he, he fell to the floor and he died. Yeah. And uh, shortly after this happened... His wife came in and confirmed the, the lie, and, and she died as well. And so um, just a, a warning or a caution, like the enemy does some weird things when you think about financial generosity. He likes to attack it, and he attacks it hard. And so we want to be real about it, be authentic about it, and... That's, that's what we want to do because he's going to try to get us, the enemy's trying to get us to believe some certain things that just aren't true when it comes to financial generosity. So the enemy, he might get us to try to think that I can't give what I don't have. And that's just simply not true because Jesus said something in Luke chapter 6, verse 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Like you can't outgive God. And it's really a difference between a scarcity mindset and an abundance mentality. Scarcity mindset says there's a limited amount of resources and I'm going to try to get all of them and hold them for as long as possible. And the abundance mindset are mentality says that invites god into the equation and says god has everything he created everything and when god comes into the picture there's always more than enough and so i want to tell you a little bit of my financial history and story um, to illustrate some of this point um, i remember when i got my first job Woohoo! first job I was a freshman at Lebanon Valley College. I worked on facility services, and I made seven twenty-five an hour. And I worked about 40 hours a month, okay? 40 hours a month, not a week, 40 hours a month. I was cutting the grass and shoveling the sidewalks and emptying the trash and lots of fun stuff. 
And, but it was my first time I ever got a paycheck, ever, first time I ever worked and received money. And I was excited because my little, you know, couple hundred dollar paycheck, I was collecting them. I was, I was uh, combining them. I said, when I get home for my first, you know, summer break, I'm going to be able to give to my church for the very first time. I've never done that before. And so I never made any money before. And so I was collecting my little paychecks, and at the end of my first semester, I had about $1,000. And so when the opportunity came, uh, you know, I kind of grew up going to this church, and I, they did an offering, and I kind of knew about it. I just never personally done it. And I don't remember the exact moment, but I do remember, I, you know, I wrote a check, and, and I gave it in the offering plate at the time for the very first time. It's like $100 or so. And I tell you that to say and to illustrate that when I talk about planning for our giving, making our giving a priority, and giving a percentage, like this is what I do. This is what Alicia and I do. And we've been doing it for a long time. Um, planning all semester. I'm, I, every paycheck I get, I'm like, okay, this is how much I have. I'm recording it in a little book. I actually found this little book the other day. So if you want to see it, I'd love to show you. It's kind of cool. And I'm recording all of this. And then it's a priority for me. Like I knew, like as I was getting this money in, I knew that it was going to be given to my church. And then it was a percentage when I had to determine what amount do I write on this check. I took the amount that I gave, got and I chose about 10% and I divided it or multiplied it by 10%. And that's the amount that I gave. So um, fast forward to graduation day, okay? I graduated from college, woohoo! Um, that Sunday after I graduated, I started my first high-paying pastoral job. It was incredible. And then I had to start taking financial records for myself, you know? I had to write everything down. And, and if you don't do that, if you don't write where you spend your money, I encourage you to do that. It's a really good practice. It's really helpful. Write everything down. And I started to do that. So I could look back to no November 2013, my first ever big paying pastoral job. I made $2,981 that month. And I could tell you all my expenses if you wanted to. I paid $600 for this little rent place, which was a gift from God, absolutely. 400 of that went out to taxes. And my total expenses that month were $2,542, which left me with $439. I saved 239 of those dollars, and I gave 200 of them. And it's actually crazy to look back on those first years of the amount of money I was saving every single month. I saved $246.30, $1 one month, $22.05, $236.67, $41.15. It's just crazy to look at those numbers. All the while giving $200 a month. Then in 2015, I got married. And Alicia has a great job. And I'm so thankful for her. And our income increased. <laughs> and our giving increased too. Then in August of 2018... I left my high-paying pastoral job and took a church planter in residency position, and I got a 75% pay cut to take this job, to pursue planting this church. All the while, we were still giving to the church. 
And if you look at my accounting sheet that I was telling you about earlier, I don't really know how what I'm about to tell you is actually possible other than this verse, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Because 12 out of the next 17 months, we lost money every single month. $500, $500, $500. This is the amount of money that we spent above and beyond our regular income. Somehow, at the end of those 17 months, we bought a house. And before we bought the house, we actually had $6,000 more in our savings account than we did 17 months prior. How, right? How? And I don't, I don't tell you all of that to brag or for any other reason other than it's true and to tell you that your pastor takes financial generosity very seriously. It's a very real thing for me, for Alicia. We talk about it. We pray about it. We think about it. We plan for it. We, we figure it out. And do we get it right every time? I don't think so. Do, is what I just share with you the perfect way to do it? Probably not. I'm still learning. I'm still wondering if the way that I understand it is actually the right way. So I don't get it right all the time. But I tell you this, specifically the 12 out of 17, that's just crazy, because God has a way of giving above and beyond what we regularly receive. He just does. And so when we come to a season and an opportunity to give an offering above and beyond our regular giving, it's like there is so much reason to give. There is so much opportunity to give. God has blessed immensely. So um, there's two more things that the enemy, I think, attacks when we think about financial generosity. Because he wants us to think that I can't give what I don't have. Then he also wants us to think that I will never have enough if I give what little I do have. I will never have enough if I give what little I do have. How much is enough? Just ask him. Like if I had double the amount of money I had right now, then that would be enough, right? Okay. So take whatever amount you would give when you made double your income and then just divide it by two and give it now, (laughs) right? And and what this does is, is that it invites God into your financial world. When you give, it invites God into your financial world, which is really important. Like, you want God to be in your life, right? And so many of us just block him from this main part of our life. And so the way that he gives us this opportunity to give is he says that there is a percentage that is mine. And so we just decide at the top. Right off the bat, right? 100% come in, that's the way percents work, and 10% or whatever percent you choose go out. That's just the way that it works. And we are challenged to think, like, if I give that, then I won't have enough. I'll have less, which in some way that is sort of true. But God, in his supernatural ability, somehow multiplies the 90% or that which we keep after we've given some, more 
than if we just try and do it all ourselves with the 100% ourselves. Like, it's hard to explain. But when we trust God with giving a percentage and we only have a little less, like, that goes further. God does something. God multiplies it. God does something supernatural with that. And it's incredible to see and to be a part of. And now you could be saying, like, 10%, like, that's ridiculous. Like, if I gave 10%, my life would look so different. I'd spend my money completely differently. That's a lot. And that's kind of the point. (laughs) Like, your life is going to be different. God is inviting you to enter into a completely different way of living. And it's a step of faith, and it's a step of trust, and it's, it's just different. And God has a way of doing something that is beyond what we can even understand. So thinking, I will never have enough if I give what little I do have, is just not true. And neither is. My generosity won't make a difference. So therefore, I won't give at all. And Jesus just tells us this isn't true either. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41, there was a moment in Jesus' life, in history, okay? Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. (laughs) Jesus is watching you. He's watching you give. He's, He's watching the number you write on your check. He's watching you click. He's watching you drop it in. Like, God, Jesus cares about this. He's watching. And many rich people put in large amounts. And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, like, it's like, come here, come here. I got to show you something. I got to show you something. Look over there. I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. God pays attention to our giving, to our financial generosity. And the amount is really an indication of what God has blessed you with. So a $500,000 offering could be less than a $5 offering, depending on what God has blessed a person with. Because it's in proportion, it's in amount. So if God has blessed you with a lot, an offering that's meaningful to you, is a lot. And if God has blessed you with a little, then an offering, a meaningful offering to you is a little. But what's important is that it's meaningful to you. That it's sacrificial for you. It's important for you. And so as we consider how to give and be a part of the multiply offering, this end of the year season that we're in, I want to encourage you to remember this that your financial generosity will fuel evangelism. It will fuel evangelism. And you might be tempted to think that I can't give what I don't have. And it's like when we have a whole different way of giving, when we give, God has a different way of helping us look at our money. Like there is more there than we could ever kind of wrap our minds around. And you might be tempted to think I will never have enough if I give what little I do have. But if you give what little you do have, you've invited God into the equation and something happens, something changes. And if you think that my generosity won't make a difference, then there is a gift amount that will make a difference for you. I know that there is. Like there is an amount that is meaningful to you. Between you and God, you know, right? There is a gift that is meaningful to me, and I can give it in this season, no matter how many zeros or how many 
commas or whatever else you, um, is on that number. And so now, now, right now in this multiply season is our moment to push fear aside and to lean into faith and to pray specifically about how God is, is calling us to, to give and to be a part of being generous in this end of the year multiply season. And think sacrificially, consider, what does God have for me, specifically for me? And if we do this, if we all do this, and I think we can do this, then God is going to do some incredible things, not only in and through our church, but I believe in your life and in your faith and strengthen your faith and expand your trust and your vision. And God is going to continue to use your generosity to reach more people, to do evangelism, and there will be a great harvest, more than we can even wrap our minds around. I believe that, and I hope you do too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would be with us in this moment right now as we realize that the enemy just is, is strong. He knows that financial generosity just does something. It fuels the gospel. The enemy tried to get after Jesus so many times. He tried to stop him from the cross. He tried to kill him when he was a baby. He tries all that stuff, and it didn't work. And so the, what he can stop now is, is us. And I pray that that doesn't happen. I pray that you would strengthen our faith. I pray that you would expand our vision. I pray that we would invite you, God, into our financial world and just ask you, what do you have for me to do today? And if we do that, and I believe, God, that you will empower us to do it as you, Holy Spirit, lives inside of us, that you're going to do some incredible things in and through this church and in and through each person here. So, Lord, I pray that you just be with me even, that Alicia and I would be sensitive to your spirit, that we would consider what you would have for us in this season. And Lord, I just can't wait to see what you will do, the lives that will be transformed for all eternity because of our generosity today and how great your good news is. So Lord, we ask these things that you would bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.